Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, folks. How are you this week? Um, you might hear a slight spring in my step in my voice. That's because my two amazing young children went back to school this week. Uh, not only a joy for me in terms of being able to get work done, but for them. Seeing an extra sparkle in their eyes as they get to sit in classrooms with their peers and have conversations and play and just be in a really positive, wonderful environment has been fantastic to watch. So uh, I would just like to say a massive thank you to all the teachers out there for all the incredible work that you do. Um, I am in awe of you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Slightly off subject, but I thought it was a lovely place and opportunity to say so. Uh, and so on to this week's episode. I'm so excited about this one uh, because this interview, I mean, all the interviews I have to say are very enjoyable and fun to do. And each one is very different from the previous and to the next. But there was something really special about this one. And our latest guest on Soundtracking is a writer a director, returning for a second sitting, who has made five outstanding films for the BBC about London's West Indian community, Steve McQueen. Now, his small acts anthology are historical dramas spanning from the late 60s to early 80s, from the story of the legendary Mangrove restaurant to Red, White and Blue, which stars the awesome John Boyega as Leroy Logan, the man who founded the Black Police Association. Now, as you'd expect, the music is exquisite, of which plenty more shortly. But first, a word from our friends at LinkedIn. Now, by all accounts, 2021 is looking up. There seems to be light at the end of that extraordinary long tunnel that we've been in. And one thing that has helped me cope with the pandemic is making this podcast, being able to talk about film and music and making it with the most amazing, inspiring team. That team is Ben, who makes it sound absolutely brilliant. Ben, I owe you everything, my friend. Thank you so much. Having the right people on your team is something that can really inspire and encourage creativity. And LinkedIn is one of the best places to help you find that team. It's an active community of professionals with more than 30 million members in the UK alone. So if you're thinking ahead, considering shifting business hours or maybe hiring more remote employees, LinkedIn Jobs can help you. You can post a job with targeted screening questions, which will get your role in front of the qualified candidates, helping you find the right person quickly. Then when you need to manage your posts and contact candidates, you can do that from LinkedIn.com. And you can also do all this from your mobile device. And to lend a helping hand, we've arranged for your first job post to be free. LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs and post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash sound. Again, that's linkedin.com slash sound to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And so to Steve McQueen and special bonus guest for part of our conversation, Dennis Bevel, whose classic song Silly Games is central to one of the films Lovers Rock. So where else could we start then with that track as sung by the awesome Janet Kay?
much for your time today. I mean, it feels extra special that we've got Dennis here to talk about, well, this one particular episode of this incredible collection of, of stories. I guess, Steve, if you don't mind, I'm just going to get straight into it with regards to, sure. to that episode in Lover's Rock, just in terms of how much that song, I guess, influenced the the entire mood and atmosphere of that particular film, really, because it feels like it's the it's the score almost. I mean, I know there's lots of other music in there, but it feels very much like it's the journey of the film almost in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a fairy tale, uh, Lover's Rock. Um, it was based on my aunt um, uh, leaving uh, my grandmother's house in Shepherdsbush in, in the middle of the night. My grandmother wouldn't let her go to blues parties, so my uncle used to leave the back door open for her. And then she used to go and to Labrador Grove party all night and then come back home, you know, in the early hours of the morning before church. And within that narrative, it was always based around that song. You know, it was, it was always based around silly games. Um, and that was it. Um, so I had the head, I had the tail, I had the heart. So that was, that, was the, that was how we started it. And how did the relationship with Dennis kind of, in terms of his involvement and his appearance in it, how did that start? Well, I was introduced, thank God, to Dennis through Paul Gilroy, an academic, you know, the leading uh, British academic. And um, we just hit it off. And uh, at first, you know, it was kind of funny because I was talking to um, um, Dennis about music and at the time and so forth and whatnot. He was making some music for me. And then Dennis sort of said, well, I want to be in it. I want to. I want to be the bus driver. <laughs> no, sorry, the bus conductor. I said, oh, okay. And I said, well, look, you know what? I've got other plans for you, and that's, <laughs> and that's what happened. So, yeah. I actually had the pleasure of chatting to you a couple of years back about this song because I, I made a, I made a documentary for Sky Arts called Songs to Have Sex To, and we uh, and one of the one of the songs. It wasn't a. It wasn't a a kind of chart thing. It was more about the kind of psychological, physical effect that music can have on you. And um, we came and talked to you at length about this song. It's just amazing how this, it has this timeless quality to it as well, even though it does transport you back to a time, you still hear it now and there's a connectivity to it. Can you remember going back to the creation of that song and what the intention was with the song, really? The intention was to create something that was infectious, you know, Quite frankly, I wanted to <laughs> dethrone Sly Dunbar as reggae's top drummer by inventing a drum pattern that I thought he'll have to try and work this pattern out. And uh, it was an unusual drum pattern for a reggae song. And when I taught the pattern to a drummer by the name of Drummy Zeb, the, uh, him from Aswad, and I said, look, you're a drummer. I've got this idea. I want to hear this for four minutes. And he went, wow, magic. Because, you know, when I showed him how, how the pattern was put together with, like, calypso hi-hat feel, you know, the um, offbeat snare drum feel of uh, Afrobeat, and then the, the four beats to the floor disco, you know, that was 120 BPM that was going on at the time, all the disco things that are still going on at that tempo. And um, I said, right, can you hold that down? And when the bass is playing the slow part, do, 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 that's the verse of the song. And when it plays the fast part, I go, do, 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 that's the chorus of the song. So we had to kind of 
change the tempo very slightly for the chorus and ease it back in for the verse, right? And we had he had to understand that that the chorus of the song had to move up a half a beat in tempo and then sit back uh, for the verse. And uh, at that time, drum machines weren't able to do that. So we were creating a new beat. And in fact, my intention was to make lots of songs with that same beat, right? But after the success of uh, Silly Games, I didn't dare use that drum beat on another <laughs> song again. What I, what I liked about, forgive me, what I love about what you just said, Dennis, it's kind of a, it's really a British diaspora tune. It's Afrobeat, it's the American influence, it's the West Indian influence, and of course, the British invention. It's coming together it's in London. Spectacular, pretty spectacular. Yeah. And the other thing was that um, Drummy Zeb is of Grenadian roots, and I am of Barbadian roots. And there we were, trying to topple the Jamaican phenomenon. And um, <laughs> in fact, when I told Janet of the high note that it had to be, you know, <laughs> and she went, what? Oh, God, it was. You can do that? I must be able to do that. No problem. And, uh, and she sat on it like a bird floating, you know, on the air. Yeah. Was 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 she always the choice for, for, you know, to deliver this performance for this track? Was she always the person that you wanted? She once said to me, I wish I'd never met you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she said, can you imagine what it has to be after I've been doing a concert, <laughs> then to have to do that song at the end of the concert, end right, of the concert. after I've been singing for an hour, and hit that note. <laughs> she said, ah, but now I've got a new idea. What she does is she puts the microphone to the, to the audience and go, and your turn. <laughs> and they, and in the audience, you know, scrambles for the note. And I went, clever girl. And... <laughs> <laughs> um to be part of this film, which, you know, Steve's done, I'm going to talk at, hopefully at a bit length about all these different brilliant films that I think are just, uh, for me, they just really show off this brilliant achievement of these characters in terms of what they've, what they've kind of set out to do and achieve within their lives. And this one obviously being, you know, around uh, this, this kind of beautiful love story and this, you know, that, you know, reflecting on those being a teenager and wanting to get out and, and hang out with your friends where you have this kind of sort of strict barrier of, of parents and, and things around you. But I think that there's just something absolutely beautiful about how the story's been told. And Dennis, for you being part of it, I know you wanted to be the bus conductor, but to be totally in the heart of this, this wonderful recreation of your song as well and the way that Steve chose to represent it with this kind of a cappella live rendition within this party which just you I, I found myself not breathing for the entire time that this was going on because it was so brilliant to watch what was that like for you Dennis to be to see this song have a, another life within this beautiful project it was melancholic I, you know there was times when I was holding back the tears because I think to myself when I created this thing I had no idea that it would you know, reached to this stage where um, 40 years later, I'm in a room with uh, budding young black actors and actresses, and uh, they know the song, and they're at least three generations away from the creation of the song. I had to um, 
correct a few of the words for them because um, <laughs> no, the opening line of the song says, I've been wanting you. And uh, everyone's watching. taken to singing, I've been watching you. <laughs> I'm saying, no, no, no. <laughs> Wrong word, wanting, wanting. Those youngsters were like, oh, we thought it was watching, you know, and, and that, that was amazing. And there were a few other words that, that, that they had misconstrued. But largely, um, the fact that everyone was waiting for that high note to come and attempt it, it was like trying to watch the pole vault, the pole vault at the Olympics. You know, is he going to hit the bar or is he going to scale it? Unfortunately, um, having stood in many audiences where I've told Janet, don't tell them I'm in the audience, right? Because, you know, <laughs> and she'd be on stage. And I'd be sat in the, in, in the mosh pit, kind of, hearing young girls scream their head off and thinking, yeah, you did it, you didn't, you did, you did, you know. <laughs> and having a who did it in the dance. Well, I guess with that, that casting of that particular actor for that scene, Steve, in terms of making sure it was someone who could hit that note. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think what was interesting for me was how the song transcended uh, and transformed into a real want and a real need into a situation of, of if it's um, emancipation, spiritual sort of transportation, whatever. It was something which it transcended the, um, you know, sometimes you need the fire um, in order to sort of, it, for it to create, into, go into something else. And that's what happened with that song. It was, it was very spiritual in, in that room. Things were happening which, it, you know, occurred. It just occurred, and he was very happy that uh, we had a camera and we had a, a microphone to record it. You know, I mean, it would have happened if there were no cameras or no microphones. We were just privileged to be there to record it. I gotta say yet again, thank you for the realization that those words could mean something else to another situation in life. For instance, it just struck me was we were doing the a cappella there about the games that um, people play with other people, the silly games, and uh, the fact that the people involved there were going, look, we've had enough of those games, you know, and um, it, it gave the song a wider meaning for me, and it, and it made me feel, hey, you know, it, it was a, a better creation than I thought in the beginning, and it had a lot more meaning. You know, the, the meaning was not, it wasn't a mono meaning, that you'd like multiplied the meaning. Dennis, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. Um, I really appreciate it. It makes this episode really special to be able to, to have you here to, to just celebrate this, this wonderful thing that you created 40 years ago. It's lovely to see you as well, looking so well. So oh, you thank too. you so much for your time. Thank you, Dennis. Have a good day. Love um, you all. Bye. Oh, amazing. Brilliant. What a legend. Steve, these, these five films are, are they're just absolutely brilliant huge congratulations on on you know what you've what you've done with these and i i didn't realize that this has been something that's been in your you've been working on for so long they've been the sort of gestating away kind of thing for years for you in terms of 
you know, of wanting to get them out in a way. But I, I wanted to ask if the idea was always that it would be a collection of of stories rather than these characters being in one film. Yeah, I think that, that at the beginning, that was the idea. I thought it would be like one family. Um, but the, the time frame was the same, 68 to 84. And the reason for that time frame is that was the same time as the mangrove um, being open. as the year the mangrove opened at the same year. It was the same year uh, of the uh, Rivers of Blood speech by that man who I won't even mention his name. So it was one of those situations where I, when I started research, there were so many stories. I thought, well, I can't it be in one family fictional story of one family passing through this time. It, sh it should be about each, all of these interesting stories. And the mangrove was one which was really kind of prominent to me. And, and, and I wanted to sort of, you know, sort of tell that story. And unbeknownst to me, uh, you know, my father was a, um, a close friend of Roland Gordon. You know, they grew up together in the principal paradise in, in Grenada. He was always out of the house, but I never knew that Rodan was part of the Mangrove Nine. And it was, you know, it was one of those things because the, the post-stress disorder, which went on after Mangrove Nine, you can imagine. I mean, he, you know, he got, after the trial, you know, he, he was beaten up and put on the false charge and put in prison because that's what, that, that's what people could do back then. Um, and even now, I mean, people did that. Mangrove Nine uh, trial was 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 one of the victories, but they, you know, in in a situation where there was hardly any. Anyway, so it was all these stories which I really was interested in. My aunt, of course, with the Lovers Rock, and um, uh, you know, uh, my own story. But that happened later on because it was it was a bit difficult for me to sort of talk, talk about that. But I thought, okay, I have to, and I was very grateful to um, to do that. And of course, we I discovered Alex Wheatle, and I discovered. Um, uh, Red, White, and Blue, um, which was uh, the, 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 the story of Leroy, Leroy Logan through a writer's room, that, which I first set up. But the writer's room turned into an audition room to say, of who the two writers I wanted to work with, work with which was Courtney Newland and Alice Simmons. What were you, what do you think you were looking for in that, that writing room? What was it that you, what was it that kind of you connected with, do you think? So again, it was one of those things where... I, 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 you know, these are, I went into, I went, okay, I went into art, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist as well, but I, 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 I could never paint. I, I could paint, I was a painter, but, but I can't be in a studio with turpentine and oil paint on my own. I'm, I'm a communicator. I'm interested in team sports. I'm interested in motivation and to be motivated. So the whole idea of a writer's room for me was to sort of empty all our handbags on the table and sift through it and find out what was going, you know, what's, what's it all about. So, uh, but during that journey, as, as there have been many journeys in, in, in small acts, it became to me about, uh, you know, working with, the, with these two writers and, and that was it. And the stories, like, uh, you know, the, what I came up with in that writer's room, well, what emerged in that writer's room was one gentleman was called Alex Wheatle, who was a writer. And Alex's story was, well, through emptying people's handbags, I thought, my God, it's an amazing story. And I, said to him, I said to Alex, would you, you know, you know would be interested in, 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 in you know, helping to write the, your story and you didn't want to do it. So at least I was arranged in helping. I mean, he became an amazing, um, uh, can I say, um, uh, can I say, a contributor to all of the uh, small acts um, uh, episodes as a, as a as a person who actually physically experienced that time frame because obviously we were a bit too young for that. And basically, he gave uh, the story to myself and Alice's citizens to sort of to write his story. So that's one thing that came out of it. And also, a lady called Helen Bart, who was a researcher, uh, you know, came up with the story of, of Leroy Logan, with Leroy's story, which I did not know. And that was it. So it's all about institutions, because I was interested in institutions, and that was it. And afterwards, after the rise room finished, then I sort, of, uh, I sort of put forward, do I want to do something about education? And that was that. You know, I remember in school, and you'd occasionally, 
you'd occasionally have a teacher who was absolutely inspiring and he would kind of push the kind of uh, the curriculum books to one side and teach you their, you know, the, the, the stuff that they felt was important and that you, you should be learning and you should know about. And for me, this is a great example of what we should be telling our kids, the stories that I've got two boys, you know, who are eight and 12, and these are the types of stories that they need to hear and they need to know about. It's the histories of, it's the histories of our country that we, that, that need to be shared and they need to be, they need to be valued because you've told them it feels with such truth and such emotion as well. I mean, the West Indian, the black community have changed Britain forever. I mean, you think of in the, in the political sphere, in law, uh, in culture, popular culture, in sport. I mean, you know, again, in social, you know, you know, it's all everything. I mean, you know, you, you see the, you know, popular culture, you see, you know, mod rockers, skinheads, punks, you know, you, you talk about politics in the in, in sense of, 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 of you know, what happened in Mango of Nine and how the shockwaves that created within education and the black parents and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and teachers who changed the rules in the way of, Basically, dismiss, dismissing this, there was a, there was there was a part in the, in the education system which had there was a place where it was called educationally subnormal children, where they put children into this sort of into into these sort of schools, which were basically basically for backward children and left them there. And the majority of, of those kids were obviously the um I say the sort of uh, the overpopulated areas were, were were black children were, and of course white children were, but you know for five to one there was more. Black kids within population were in these were in these schools, and it was black parents that fought to demolish that and get rid of it. That's the truth. So it's interesting how, as a collective, what we can do. And I, I think a lot of these things get brushed beneath the carpet because it's it's just it's, it is ordinary people who actually do these things, and that, that's it, really. So um, I'm just so proud of Western and Black communities. So proud, so proud, so proud. Made my life possible. I love how you've used music across these episodes as well, these fabulous films, because it feels like music can be used so cleverly to to manipulate our emotion. But I think for the way that I see that you've used particularly existing music and needle drops is to almost enhance the narrative in a way in that the lyrics of the songs very much either reaffirm the situation or the atmosphere of where we are and what's going on. And it's so, you know, it's kind of frantic for the songs. I didn't know frantically like Shazam and stuff. So I could, and then when you, when I read the lyrics, it's kind of like, wow, these, this, and this is saying much more than almost dialogue could in a way. And I wondered if that was a, an intention and a conscious thing. Absolutely. I think it's part of the DNA of these stories, the, the, the music, because often a lot of these music were sort of, uh, you know, were in parallel to what were to, to, to the events uh, or reaction to the events. So it's kind of it, it was necessary to sort of that was the soundtrack, that was the sort of the 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 the, the, the push. And also, I've got to say, you know, it's kind of funny to say, but also food, <laughs> you know, because you know it's home away from home. You can't be home, but you can taste home. So you could think of people like Scorsese doing the same thing, or Hu uh, uh, Haoshan for you know uh, these, these amazing filmmakers, uh, Asian filmmakers, who are sort of mixing the sort of rituals of the everyday, uh, the senses of the everyday within the narrative, because um, that's that's our fuel. That, 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 that's our fuel. Did the music start to form a place within the film then, whilst you were writing it, in terms of knowing that it had an important part of the the narrative? Yes, um, uh, you know, I think what's a good example, some examples. 
when you think of things like um, well, Bob Marley, of course, um, uh, and then you think of uh, you know Trench Town Rock in the pressure prison, drop, uh, Toots and Metals as well. Yeah, pressure drop was amazing because that was just so you know Sean Parks play you know um, in that role uh, was just absolutely incredible, and I remember I knew that one. It's a celebratory track, you know, but at the same time, it's like. You know, it's what's up. It's like you know, it, there's you know, it's 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 heavy. So he goes out signings alone. It, it's you know, it, it just adds so much to the atmosphere. It says all the things that he's thinking. Yeah. Pressure drop is going to drop on you. It's, it's, that's, a, that's an amazing track. And Toots, unfortunately, already sold died last year. So it was, it was kind of an act that we had so many Toots songs in, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in the anthology. Yeah. 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 Even also, things, of... like, things like Blondie, you know, yeah. <laughs> that popped up, you know, because those girls, that's what they were looking at. I, was, I mean, I remember me on the radio, mate, the top 40 on a Sunday. You're crazy. Me and my sister in the, in the, in the kitchen. <laughs> And it's 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 that and that's the great thing I think as well is the like the the tone of Lovers Rock is just you know you feel like I, I, it really reminded me of it made me feel again how I felt at that age when I was getting ready and putting the music yeah. on and getting excited and the possibilities also, of life the possibilities of, but also it wasn't make, it was it wasn't pretend it was real. You know, you went out and you put your, your, you got your, you got the shoes that you wanted to get, the clothes you wanted to get, or you look good, you look sharp in the mirror, and then you went to that 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 party, and that party was real. The music was real. It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't. I mean, unfortunately, I'm old now. I'm, so, I'm you know what I mean. I remember the. I still have that rock and roll in me. But you remember you went to that party and everything was real. The makeup, the it was like it was. It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was amazing. That's why. I think when we debuted this, uh, uh, the, we debuted that was rock, um, Mangrove, and, and what I'm doing in New York. Uh, we, we debuted it in New York Film Festival when there was a drive-in theater, the drive-in theaters, because of course COVID. 
people getting out of the car and going nuts. My dream was to put it on in the cinema and then people smashing up the seats. That was my that was my dream. <laughs> but didn't get that far because of COVID, but there you go. Yeah. Hey, but, um, I, hey, I think it feels like the perfect thing to do when we're allowed yeah. to go back to the cinemas because yeah. we're all going to be so excited. But I understand why you're so, of course, you're, you're, you're obviously a presenter, but also you're deep in music. But I understand that because in some ways it's, it's, a, it's a truth. And it never stops giving, never stops giving, never stops giving. I, I love as well in How Lovers Rock how the kind of tonal shift of the music as well and that idea where it gets to a certain point in the in the party where the, the, the lads kind of have their moment where they're all, and I love how that shift that you have is there where you come back into that room and it's all the guys just kind of, mm. it's got slightly more aggressive and slightly more kind of, masculine and sort of testosterone rather than it being that kind of sensual seduction that we've seen earlier on and, and again the music that you, you used to kind of highlight that shift the investigators and stuff like that was just a brilliant choice Yeah, I, oh my God, what a track. That's not on, unfortunately, that's not on the iPad, on, on the Love of Track soundtrack on the iPad, but get it, you can get it. Oh, turn out the light. Oh, so good. And the, 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 you know what's so interesting about that tune and some, and some other tunes, another tune, I can't remember what the other tune is, is when those guys use Uli U. There's a lot of Uli U's in Love is Rock by Mel Artis. There's an Uli U. I was like, wow, okay. It's like, it's just, they're so, they, they're, they're, they're okay to sort of, um, have a certain sense of uh, fairness about them and and and, and desire and uh, yeah, it's the opposite of possibly what may, maybe people might think of, of black males in that sense. But it's just a, a vulnerability, a possibility. It's one of those. It's magic. It's magic. That's what it yeah. is. It's not yeah. sex is something else. But falling in love and and feeling that feel is just magic, and you cannot. That's that's something different. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, lovers rock is about the magic, really. And I think I think you know Courtney Newland, who was a co-writer. He obviously chose some songs because his mother used to sort of run blues parties as, as well. But um, my my thing was there's three tracks for me, which was the pit, which was which was the sort of the sort of the pillars was comfort fighting. Chinese art. 
um, uh, obviously Slay Games, and then Quinta Quinte. Uh, the oh, yeah, track. the Revolutionaries. When I heard that, oh, was that Revolutionary? That's Revolutionary. When yeah. I heard that track, I was looking at, where's this dub record? Are we going to find this dub record? As soon as I heard that track, there was like a dog whistle going off. It was like, I was like, well, it was like, I heard, it was like, really, it was like a dog whistle going off. No, 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 that's it. That's it. That's it. That's when people, that's when people started matching up the cinema. important when you kind of go through the films of where you've chosen not to use music as well because that can almost be as important as the decision as to where you do use music so like for example the the not the not guilty verdict in in mangrove for example is such a such an emotional scene and there's no music in there and it makes it even more powerful i think but also in the riot with Mika Levy, Mika, we worked with Mika, was extraordinary. She's extraordinary, and I think you know Mika is such a dude. And so, you know, I just wanted to be. I want. I want to. I wanted to be my best friend, please. You like kind of kid at school you want to hang out with? Just good. Totally. You got me. That's Mika. Um, she was oh yeah. That school she, she did for Monos. Oh my God, that was absolutely, absolutely mind blowing. Oh. Yeah. the score for the for, for the demonstration which turned into a fracas with the police you know doom, 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 and it's just and then and all of a sudden there's a cut and it's nothing it's almost like you you, you cut the strings and gravity and you fall so those are moments and, and of course you did this beautiful thing we did in the, in the waiting room for the verdict so after before that scene you, you talk about with um with sean parks there's a scene where um, they're in the waiting room, and it's basically it's the sea. It's in the waiting by the bay. The wait, it's almost like they're waiting, but it's basically this, this, this huge this, this, uh, instrument with shells, and you pour it out one way, and it's so slow. And anyway, Mika did this amazing thing, which is subliminal, because you think you don't hear it, and you do hear it. And what is it? Is that the sea? Is that the, is that the, the crashing of the waves on the shore? So that again, that was very mangrove was very important in terms of the music, of obviously picking certain music, you know, a, a lot, a lot of. Uh, 
Toots. And also, um, oh, there was a very early track. There's a very, before Scar, Pinto, Pinto, which is a music, music just before Scar. And also Calypso, we can't remember, and, 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 and Soka, because again, you know, this is a different island. There's, the thing what Dennis was saying about different islands, that's very important because the Calypso and the Soka and the reggae, these are different, they're totally different sort of regions of, of the world as such, as far as sophistication and, and, and music interpretations. So the, that was very much about 68. Why, why Mika? Um, what was it about her work or, or her that you, she was the right person to? So it's that tune, Rose, that tune, Rose, that tune, she's from, like, like a rose. Sons of stones, it's like a rose, it's like a rose. that she's just um well i would i wanted her to do the soundtrack for widows but that, that it just didn't happen for some reason it didn't happen i just think she's a, you know she's a great artist and i think she's an interpreter who has a lot of soul um and that's the thing i think she has a lot of soul and she's a real kind of um she i can't i can't put my finger on it but uh, she's quite hard to describe though in terms of and i love i love that about her she's such an a unique I don't know. Yeah, she, I, I just was absolutely in awe. I got to sit in a hotel room with her for an hour and chat to her about Monosh and, and Under the Skin and Jackie and stuff a couple of years back. And I just and she's a, a woman of very few words as well. You know, she doesn't find it easy or, or kind of. But yeah, I, thought, I think she's um, I'm so excited to see where, you know, where she goes and what she does, because it feels like the kind of world's her oyster, really. I think, but yeah, is the right thing to say about it. But yeah, you know. But yeah. We'll just... <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, Red, White and Blue is really great because uh, you have that kind of start where you've got the, with a car radio and you have this, like the dad's listening to country music and then you have like Tainted Love coming in and then a bit of Jim Reeves is in there and it's like, I loved it. It's really fun. Yeah, I should have my notes. Yeah, Jim Reeves, I mean, that, that lot of West Indian people, uh, my father's generation, look big into country. I think the Americans blitz the airways with a lot of country music. And I think that the association with the, uh, you know, the religious sort of aspect of country music, the, the land, because a lot of people were, were, were farmers uh, and, and, and that. So there was a situation with the land and, and, and spirituality and so forth. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore oh lord you know i have no 
friend like you If heaven's not my home Then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home In this world anymore Oh, one thing I want to talk about Is the small faces uh, in... Um in a, a, a Tin Soldier in Mangrove, oh my God. So what a bad track that is. And the mods, of course, you know, but uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, and that was 68. go on a night out dancing with you because just even your reaction to thinking about a song you're like that i'm on the dance oh, floor already yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a voice that was like some angst that's like some working class angst that's like yeah, come on let's do it and also you could do it with, you know it's the fact that you could do it with the guitar the fact there was an immediate and urgent and now uh, and people responded i mean you know that kind of oh that kind of amazing there was there was hardly any kind of a barrier Anyway, with, with, with Red, White and Blue, then you, we get into sort of all the Al Green stuff, which is uh, incredible. Oh my God, it's just like incredible stuff, incredible stuff. I hadn't he- heard for what, how can you mend a broken heart for, for a very long time? It was kind of, um, how do you pick the tracks? I think you, you live it. I think, you know, you live it. I think though, though, that, that's a track that spoke to me. You know, again, it's like, you know, one of the beautiful Bee Gees and, how do you mean, and, you know, the history behind that song and, you know, they, they Barry Gibb and his brother having a fallout and coming back together and the first record they write together is is is, is that. It's pretty special and it, it, it goes all, you know, and it goes all the way to the relationship between Leeway Logan and, 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 and his father. So that was it, really, you know. I can think of younger days When I lived for my life was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told a 
Can you stop the rain fall now? Tell me how can you stop? I love the ending to Red, White and Blue. I love the ending. Our ending's easy to to decide. You know, when you're in the edit and I you know you've got you've got script obviously so you know kind of but but I imagine that you have to feel the film whilst you're in the edit in terms of some things work, some things don't. As a filmmaker, I I, I, I used to sort of go around with a super eight camera. So, you know, I used to be these cartridges and they cost like four fifty. So, you know, I you know, I learned to make film through shooting that. So anytime I shot, I, I pressed the, I pressed the, the sort of a, a button to engage and film on a super eight camera. Oh my God, that's 50 pence. You know, so I was like, shit, I better know what I want to shoot before I shoot it. I have at least a rough idea. So, you know, it's, it's golf, you know, you've got a couple of swings at it and, that, and that's it. So nowadays people sort of blitz the, you know, they, they shoot digitally, they, they spray the camera all over Gaff, you know, 24 hours of film to make something half an hour and they cut it in the editing room. It's not, it's not, it's not craft. So for me, that scene, I knew that was the end of the picture. So how we got to the end is how we get to the end, but I knew it was in that scene. And when it's the father, it's, 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 it's Leroy having this sort of conversation. And what's so beautiful about that scene is Steve, who plays the, the father, that came from who he was, that the whole idea of, you know, that he, he talks about, you know, his mother saying to him, if, you were, if you're a grave digger uh, without education, then I'd be disappointed. But if you're a grave digger with education, well, I know that's your choice. And that he was, you know, Steve was telling that to, uh, to uh, as, as a character of Lee Wallen's father to, um, to John, John Berger. But that is something his mother told John. Sorry, Steve. And Steve wanted to be a, uh, wanted, wanted to be an actor. So we're just using that personal stuff to sort of put into the narrative of our, our story. And that happened just on set. We were talking, talking, and getting deep. And he just said this, he, you know, the throwaway things. No, 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 no. We're, we're using that. We're using that. So when you see him go there, He's going there, so I knew, and, and the whole idea of what, what they said at the end, you know, scorch the earth and, and start again. So, um, and we ended that, we ended that that that, that film with another Al Green song, which is absolutely beautiful. Lay your head on my pillow. Don't look so sad. I know it's so bad. But life goes on And this world Keeps on turning Yeah Let's just be glad We had this time To spend together the bridges that we're burning lay your Turn your mind 
got Marvin Gaye as well in there which was just like yeah gotta got give him up yeah here's here's my Marvin Gaye claim of fame what are you a minute Marvin's brother Frankie was was married to my mother's aunt you joking really yeah fuck language. that's incredible so what do you find out about Marvin not loads actually but Frankie came when we were in Scotland when we lived in Scotland my granddad had a tiny little family run hotel and Frankie and Irene and their little girl April they came to visit and I've got this amazing picture of Frankie and my dad my granddad's kilt outside the hotel and I mean he was the spitting image of Marvin it was insane and a voice to die for as well we used to have a little dinner dance on a Saturday night and he got up and sang this song that Frankie had written called That's Okay and um, I still remember it he was just, he was amazing. He was such a lovely, kind man. And I still keep in touch with Irene. She's out in Santa Monica living still. My little claim of fame. Yeah. One day I'll sit down and chat to Irene about it and get some stories off her for sure. One day. <laughs> no, well, yeah, well, Mar- Marvin in Belgium, that was always, and then dating this Belgian princess, that was always interesting. Uh, he was at the mangrove too, Marvin. He was hanging out at the, man- at the mangrove. In the 80s, for sure, yeah. Wow. It feels like there could be another, there could be almost be like a whole series of films about the mangrove. Yeah, people like Vanessa, Vanessa Redgrave was hanging out at the mangroves. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was swinging. The mangrove was swinging, oh, for sure. When you were writing it, because the casting in, in all these, these films is just brilliant. You talk about John Boyega in Red, White and, and Blue and Letitia. Oh, my God, that girl is just... With every scene that she's in, she just gets to the core of you. She's she's amazing. She, she went there. She went. She she went there. And of course, you do. You, also, you must understand that you know a lot of the time people are playing themselves for the first time. You know, you know, you know. You get a lot of black actors who never get the opportunity to sort of you know play their mother, or play their you know play people who they're they're attached to. Um, you know, and that's the thing. You know, for a long time, black people were not welcome within the British film and TV industry in this country. It's a fact. The vast majority of people you see on screen, apart of course, to Tisha, you see Tisha and John, of course, a lot of them have never been on screen before ever. You know, um, you know, Amira from Love Is Rock, other people in Kenya from uh, Education, or Shay from uh, Alex Wheatle. Yeah, he was he was his first year in in in, in drama school. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he just attended drama school for the first year. I think he was doing it for the first year, but before he, I think he went there for a few months, and then he was he was working with us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. So there's a lot of there's just a lot of talent out there that unfortunately needs well, unfortunately needs to he needs to shine. That's all. Steve, I could chat to you all day, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to me today about these. I mean, I feel like I could almost have done a an an, an hour long on every of the every one of the films, to be honest, because there's just a wealth to talk about both, you know, in terms of the music, but also the the stories and the performances and and, and all that. But thank you so much for these films, because being a mum, I feel like I, I you know, it's like I say, I, 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 there's a point where I need to show my kids, my boys, these films sort of thing, because I think there's stories that that they need to hear. And I thank you very much for giving these these characters' voices. So thank you so much, Steve, for your time today and for this, these wonderful films. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. So I always, always, always get excited. I always get, oh, wow, it's just having a chat. It's like, great. <laughs> it's not an interview, which is fantastic. I want to go for a dance with you next time. That's what I want to do. I- <laughs> <laughs> I, can you imagine? It'd be better me, you, Dennis, you know, I mean, smashing, up some, smashing up some chairs. 
Let's have a screening of all five films and we have like a half hour dance off in between each film and just see where it goes. Listen, I'm just waiting for the day to happen when we can actually get to cinema and, and, and you know, and, and, and show it and yeah, have, a, have a good, you know, good sound and actually do it. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. All take right, my dear. You take care. Thanks, Bye. Steve. Soundtrack to Red, White and Blue, that's got to give up by Marvin Gaye, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Steve McQueen and Dennis Bevel. My huge thanks to Steve and Dennis for taking the time to talk to us. All five episodes of Steve's Small Axe series are available to watch on the BBC iPlayer now and are each fantastic and really important bits of filmmaking, I think. If you want to hear my first conversation with Steve, head to edithbowman.com where you'll also be able to find every guest I've interviewed for this podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do, if you can, have a little look at our YouTube channel for a show that I put together as a companion piece to this show. Next up, I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you because I had a lot of fun making it. Sasha Baron Cohen is a, a bit of a genius when it comes to what he does. No one else does what he does and one of the things that I think has never really been talked about with regards to all these characters that he's created of course we know Borat, Bruno, Ali G is the music and guess who writes the music his brother Iran Baron Cohen and he is next week's guest I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then (laughs) 